To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I stink today. I stink to high heaven. Which is weird because I may be wearing the most expensive clone I've ever tried on. And yet I stink to high heaven. I had a few minutes before coming into the studio today and I was like, oh, I'll wander through the mall. You know, you get those people trying to get you, oh, try out this clone, sir. I, I don't know anything about it. It's very exclusive. Well, either it's very exclusive because it smells like crap or it just doesn't smell good on me. So I think I'm going to be running out of here in the next commercial break to rub down my wrist with industrial soap and smell like that. Oy vey. Fascinating day for the nation's capital today. Of course, you've heard the big news again and again. I'm going to give you a different take on it, okay? But first, let's get to that big news and the joy that Senator's owner Eugene Melnick, the man behind Rendezvous Le Breton, felt at hearing that his bid was considered the one the NCC wanted to go with. Even the day that I bought the franchise, I wasn't this excited. Um, this will lead us to getting a Stanley Cup, I can assure you. And um, people will want to come play here. That's the key. People will want to come play. People will want to go down to Le Breton. I mean, why would you go to Le Breton now, of course? But that's part of the story. And, and, and I'm happy for the senators. And I'm happy that we're finally going to get something going on Le Breton. And, you know, good to hear Jim Watson say that, uh, that the bid that, that won today is the one that he wanted to win all along. I felt that this one was stronger. It was more realistic, more diverse. Um, you know, I think, uh, it, I think the, um, the second group's proposal for a, an arena came as quite a surprise for a lot of us. So we're going to have an arena by 20, uh, I was going to say 2016. That's now, 2021. Five years from now, they're saying an arena. Ten years from now, the first of three neighborhoods. Although those timelines may be delayed, and now there's going to be negotiations, and today is the announcement, but it's not the end, and you've heard all this. This is going to be a long time. And that's my problem. Not with the bid. I'm fascinated by what Rendezvous Le Breton put out there. But now their exciting bid has to start dealing with the NCC. Yes, that the National Capital Commission, the organization that anyone that lives in Ottawa loves to hate. Why? Because of their track record. Maybe they can redeem themselves here. But this is central planning at its finest. And when I say finest, I'm hoping you're picking up the sarcasm. Let's remember why Le Breton Flats, this 23-hectare site, by the way, that's about 55 acres roughly, if you speak in regular terms, 55 acres roughly, is up for redevelopment. Why? Because the central planners expropriated and knocked down an entire neighborhood. Yep, they, they decided this neighborhood was an eyesore, and it had to go. That was long before I was born. This place has been sitting empty for longer than I've been alive. They've been promising redevelopment my entire life. 44 years old. 
that place has been empty the whole time. Now, there have been a couple of things that have gone on it so far. I would say the War Museum is good. I would say those condos are a little odd. I'm glad that they kept the the little waterway down there, the viaduct. Not sure the right term for it. But now we're being told that the planners are coming in and they're going to help fix everything. I I looked at both plans. I liked both plans. They were both good. Rendezvous and uh, the DevCorp group, both good. But now the NCC is going to come in and negotiate piece by piece what gets to go where. Is this really their strength? Is this really what they're good at? I'd say no. And I'd say central planning is not in our best interest in in this way. I mean, yes, you want to have, okay, we'll have industry in this area, housing in this area, and so on. Although the Ontario government now says no. I don't know if you, this kind of got lost in the shuffle, at least locally today, because everyone's talking about the Breton Flats. Everyone's talking about the trial down at the courthouse, the suspended Mountie up on charges of abusing his child. But in the Globe and Mail today, they have a copy of the Ontario government's plans to pretty much get his emissions free. Emission-free buildings and slash the use of cars over the next several decades. They want to kill off one of the major industries that uh, has led to Ontario's booming economy or at least stable, strong economies for almost a century now. Yeah, this is part of their new plan to meet their climate change goals. Let me read to you a little bit from the Globe and Mail. To achieve these aims... Let me back up. I'll start at the beginning. The Ontario government plans to make the majority of the province's buildings emissions-free and slash the use of cars to just 20% of commuter trips by 2050 as part of a dramatic plan to meet its climate change goals. To achieve these aims, the province will establish a new ultra-low carbon utility, an agency with a sweeping mandate to change everything about how Ontarians use energy to reduce carbon emissions drastically. These details are in a confidential draft of the province's climate change action plan obtained by the Globe and Mail. The strategy, which wants to put a zero emissions or hybrid electric vehicle in every multi-car house or multi-car household driveway within eight years, is expected to be unveiled next month. It is meant to supplement a cap-and-trade system for carbon emissions that takes effect next year. The draft of the plan promises to get at least 1.7 million electric and hybrid cars in use by 2024, say, uh, take 7 million gas-burning vehicles off the road by 2030, and ensure that by 2050, 80% of residents use public transit, walk, or cycle to work. That's central planning. That central planning. We saw how well central planning worked in the Soviet Union, didn't we? We saw how well central planning worked in Poland. There's a large Polish community here in Ottawa. Go talk to some, some of your Polish neighbors and friends. Find out what it was like under the old central planning system. Did it work? No. No, but don't worry. They'll come up with a new plan. That's what ties this and Le Breton together, are the central planners. I'm fascinated, as I said, by what... Rendezvous Le Breton has come up with. 
I'm fascinated to see neighborhoods and a new arena and a new entertainment district going in just off of Parliament Hill. It'll be a counterbalance to the market, I guess, and hopefully the city keeps growing. And we've got another new neighborhood called Zibby going in down there by the, the Chaudière Falls. Fantastic. It's going to make the city even more vibrant. Love it. But now the central planners from the NCC will get involved, and I'm sure they're going to have similar climate change goals. So what will we end up with? I don't know. Muesli? But back to Ontario. This central planning plans to take 7 million gas-burning vehicles off the road. They want 1.7 million electric and hybrid cars in use by 2024. How many of those do we make in Ontario? That's right. We don't. The premier of this province is trying to kill the auto industry that gives her a big chunk of the money that allows her to carry out her crazy plans. Another news release put out by the province today. Green Investment Fund Fighting Climate Change and Growing Ontario's Economy. The province is investing $20 million from Ontario's Green Investment Fund to build nearly 500 electric vehicle charging stations at over 250 locations in Ontario in 2017. You know what it's like when you're on a road trip and you, you need to, to stop for gas and it's a busy weekend and you've got to line up? Can you imagine if we follow through on Kathleen Wynne's plans and we're all using electric vehicles? And then you've got to stop and charge. What's that going to be like? What's that going to add to a road trip to Toronto? Don't worry about it, though. It's central planning. They will come up with something for us to do. I'm excited about the future of this city. I'm excited about the future of the province. We just need to do something to get the central planners out of the way. Eugene Melnick and his crew have come up with a great idea. I hope that the NCC works with them and not against them in order to see it come to fruition. And enough of this, let's take 30 years to build something out. For goodness sakes, we defeated the Nazis in six. I'm sure that we can do something in at least just twice that time. Couldn't we? Couldn't we do something that didn't take decades to build out? We know how to build neighborhoods. We know how to build homes. We know how to build arenas. Let's get to it. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. You know, I don't run a big fancy restaurant chain, but um, if the folks at Earl's had asked me, I could have told them, this ain't going to end well. Earl's is a Western Canadian chain that started in Edmonton, Alberta. Now they're based out of Vancouver, and they've long used Alberta beef. They have long decided that Canadian Alberta beef was the way to go. You you go to most of the grocery stores here in Ottawa, and you're going to get 
Alberta beef. We have very good beef here in eastern Ontario, by the way, including some some really good beef right inside city limits. But you know, the, the big chains, they need to get a lot of beef. Alberta has a big ranching industry. But Earls decided that they were going to go for something called certified humane beef. They wanted to know about the, the raising of the, the cow. They make it sound as if the, the current practices of Canadian cattlemen, of Canadian ranchers, are somehow not humane, that they are below standard. So that has a lot of people in the industry upset. It also has a lot of regular people out west upset. I think they're going to take a big hit business-wise. Bob Lowe is chair of the Alberta Beef Producers, and he said they should have talked to him. The province's code of practice already recommend ranchers meet many of the same criteria, he says. The same criteria as the Certified Humane Program, apart from being hormone-free. It's nothing new. It's not rocket science. It's just they now have a stamp that says this beef is raised humanely. Uh-huh. Do you know about this whole thing about getting um, hormones or steroids? We don't have bovine growth, growth hormone used in Canada. It just doesn't happen. This is not something that we allow. It's barely used in the United States, and yet people will put these stamps and logos on them. It is a way for these nonprofit organizations to be very profitable and to make a lot of money because they go around and they charge the farmers huge fees to give them their stamp of approval. Uh, Rob McNabb is the general manager of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. Cattle, that is a big industry in this country. McNabb said if the chain had consulted with his group before making the decision, they would have found out that the, the Canadian industry is developing a program similar to what Earls is going for. They went to a packaged program in the U.S., uh, and I, I suspect just not realizing what we were on the, on the verge of doing here. Uh, Earl's argument, we couldn't find an Alberta supplier. So now this Canadian company is going to Kansas to get its beef when it sits in the middle of cattle country. It's a bit like Ontario. You know, we're going to import all kinds of electric cars and let our own industry die. But maybe then we can subsidize it like they're doing with Bombardier. I'll be talking with Aaron Woodrick from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation about this later on. But I wanted to play this clip of Mark Garneau because Bombardier got a big order today. Delta Airlines will order 75 planes as a hard order, an option for 50 more. So 125 planes. But the feds are still looking at subsidizing them, Garneau admitted earlier today. I'm celebrating today a fantastic piece of news. This is a beautiful example of Canadian innovation. I couldn't be happier for Bombardier. I happen to love the aerospace uh, world, and I think that uh, this is the best, cl- the best uh, airplane in the world. Yeah, okay. That, but the question was, are you going to subsidize it? Yeah, we know they're still talking. By the way, Quebec's already given them a billion dollars. Let's head down south of the border to... Um, Washington, D.C., and Ash Carter. Ash Carter is the defense secretary under the Obama administration. Now, under George W. Bush, you probably knew who the defense secretary was, not so much with with Obama because defense eh, doesn't matter so much. But Ash Carter was out there before Congress today defending the strategy for trying to take down ISIS. He was appearing before the Senate Armed Services Committee 
and says local forces in Iraq and Syria says they're actually making substantive gains in retaking strongholds from ISIS. And he says they're also weakening the militant group. I hate that term, the terrorist in other ways. Our attacks on ISIL's economic infrastructure from oil wells and trucks to cash storage to ISIL's financial leaders is putting a stranglehold on ISIL's ability to pay its fighters, undermining its ability to govern and making it harder to attract new result, new recruits. Uh, don't worry. I'm sure Turkey will still allow them to keep selling oil through their porous border. And speaking of porous borders, the whole migrant crisis going on. We, we're helping refugees here in Canada, but let's face it, what Europe is dealing with is not necessarily a refugee crisis. They're dealing with people that are economic migrants, like my parents were, like so many people were, except instead of coming lawfully, they're pouring into the country. That's creating a backlash. Europeans are saying, wait a minute, we can't handle so many people at once, and now the U.N. is showing up to lecture them. Ban Ki-moon, that fool that heads up the U.N., is in Vienna today saying that these laws that would allow local authorities to stop accepting asylum seekers is um, it's just the wrong way to go, he says. I welcome the open discussions in Europe, including in Austria, on integration. But I am alarmed, again, about growing xenophobia here and beyond. How many refugees is Korea taking? Hmm? You're from Korea, Ban Ki-moon. How many refugees are they taking? What about Japan? What about closer to home for these migrants? What about what about the countries of the Middle East? But apparently it's all got to be North America and Europe. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Don't go away. When we come back, Justin Trudeau makes an exclusive trip that excludes other media. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Insurgent, believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau visited a reserve that sits in northern Ontario. It's on the Ontario-Manitoba border, really, called Shoal Lake 40. And this is an important visit because Justin Trudeau has made dealing with First Nations central to his administration. It was in the throne speech. It was in every single mandate letter given to his cabinet ministers. It is something he talks about constantly. So you think going to a reserve that's never had a visit by a prime minister would be an important news story. You think a prime minister visiting a reserve that's had boil water advisories for 17 years, I believe it is, even though they're surrounded by fresh water, they sit on the water system that supplies the city of Winnipeg with its drinking water. You would think, okay, here's, here's a news story. Not so. Why? Because the prime minister's office agreed to allow just one media outlet to be part of it, not even allowing wire services or a pool reporter to attend. So we're relying on one news outlet, that's Vice News, which is filming a documentary to be the source of information. Glenn McGregor is the senior political uh, reporter for CTV National News. He joins me now. And Glenn, uh, this is something that Look, reporters love talking about or journalists love talking about other journalists and bitching and vetching and all of that. I get it. But there's more to that than this story, isn't there? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, as you said in your introduction, this is an important story that a lot of Canadians are interested in, and it's one that deserves national media attention. This is something we, we saw the crisis in Attawapiskat. We've seen it in Kishishawan. Uh, we've seen it in uh, the, the, the uh, suicides in a bunch of other uh, Native uh, First Nations uh, reserves. Uh, and, and this is something that the prime minister should really be highlighting, I think. And, and he's made, as you say, First Nations issues a priority for him. And it was odd, I thought, that he didn't actually go to Attawapiskat over the last couple of weeks. Uh, his um, uh, Indigenous Affairs Minister went up, and uh, there were some provincial officials that went there. Uh, but uh, it, it was strange to me that he would his his first uh, major trip like this to um, a reserve would not have any media attention at all. And, and Vice, yes, Vice is, you know, it's a credible news outlet. It's got a certain demographic and uh, lots of readership around the world. They're doing very well. Uh, but it's not even putting out a news report about this. It, it, it's making a documentary, which will be edited and aired it, sometime in, quite in the some future. Time. Yeah. And so far, what we've seen today from them, and we have, I know some of the people that started Vice. I've, I've read them before. You're right. They do do some good work. But what they put out so far today, it was, um, quite frankly, it was pablum. It was, here's what the prime minister's doing. Here's some pictures of him drinking juice boxes with cute little children at school. The only news nugget in there, and I went, whoa, was he had, he, he took 80 police and or security officials with him on the trip to a reserve on a small man-made island that's home to 250 people. I yeah. found that to be a weird line. I was like, well, I'd like to know more about that, but we can't ask that. We can't find out about it. We have to rely on what Vice is telling us. This is unprecedented in my time covering politics. Uh, I've seen exclusive interviews. I've received them. You've received them. But where a prime minister is making a trip on the government dime right. to somewhere as important as this for other media to be excluded is unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, this is a game as old as the Parliamentary Press Gallery where you talk about getting exclusive access. So every year at Christmas, the Prime Minister, whoever he may be or she may be, will grant one or two interviews to broadcasters that will be played at Christmas time. But they always share those with other journalists in the press gallery, or at least parts of them anyway, through a pool system. So it's a little more equitable. And there's a difference, I think, between the prime minister or a cabinet minister taking time out of his or her day to indulge a journalist who's been given an exclusive interview. Maybe we'll, the, their communications person will say, okay, come on in to the office. We'll give you 15 minutes. You want to talk about this? We'll give you an, an exclusive there. I've had plenty of those, but they're always sure. in Langevin or in his right. Hill office. Or uh, I think uh, a couple of the Christmas ones, you know, when, when Stephen Harper used to do 20 over two days, I got in on a couple of those. But never, it, let's fly up you know, eight hours away. That's what's so different about this. So the prime minister has to travel on government aircraft for security reasons. So he's taking, we presume he's taking the Challenger jet to somewhere nearby, possibly to, to uh, I don't know, Sault Ste. Marie, Tim, and somewhere, in, 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 uh, somewhere close where they could then take a helicopter into Shoal Lake. Um, and that's going to cost some money. Uh, fine. That's probably a good use of his time. Uh, and it would be symbolically an important gesture, I think, and is one that a lot of people would like to see. What concerns me about this on two levels? First of all, this notion that, and we've seen this from the Trudeau Liberals before, during the election campaign, they were very aggressive about courting what they saw as alternative media. So a lot of these online news outlets, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, 
uh, in, in Vice uh, because it reaches a different demographic than conventional uh, news media does. Uh, and that's fine. That's great. I think it's recording them is, is terrific. But uh, to the exclusion of all others is, I think, uh, right. where the problem lies. Now, on, on that note of exclusion, a reporter named Dennis Ward, he is with Aboriginal People's Television Network, national news reporter based in Winnipeg. Winnipeg's closer to Shoal Lake than Ottawa. So Dennis Ward went in with a camera crew. He was kicked out forcibly. The chief told him he had to, or the chief's people told him he had to leave. Police escorted him and his camera crew out. They they were told they had to shut off their phones. They could not record anything. This is a guy with the Aboriginal People's Television Network, not allowed to see a prime minister showing up at a, an Aboriginal reserve. And the line coming out of government seems to be that, well, vice magazine through this documentary unit they have has built a relationship with the people in Shoal Lake and that only they were allowed on by the the chief of the uh, of of the Shoal Lake um, First well, Nation. So, uh I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it either because if the prime minister said to them, "Listen, we're going to come and visit you, uh but guess what? We're going to bring a pool camera." And and this is a system that the parliamentary press galleries had in place for years It works very well in events where you don't want 50 reporters trampling after the prime minister all, all over uh, this reserve. Yeah, and you sometimes the there's, there's not enough space. That's right. And you could say we're going to bring uh, one camera crew and one print reporter, and they will share their work through Canadian press yeah. with all the other journalists who are in, in the parliamentary I, press gallery. And that works fine. Everybody it, gets a story, and it's equitable. I remember when they went to Haiti after the earthquake. Uh, they said, we've got room for one print, one radio, one TV. Yeah. and But we'll share what comes out of it, and, and, and there's no exclusives. You do the same sort of thing here, but you still allow Vice in to do their documentary, and everybody's happy. But at this point, we're taking the word of government officials and one news outlet that, in, in my view, has made themselves seem a little too cozy with the government in power at this point by agreeing to this. Um, and and I'm sorry, I, I can't accept that. Yeah, I, I don't see any evidence that uh, a bias in any of the reporting uh that the vice has done on prime minister before this or since, uh, but I think it exposes them to the allegation that they are susceptible to uh, a little bit of a conflict here in that they want to maintain this relationship with Trudeau in the, in the weeks leading up to him appearing in this video. Uh, does that affect their reporting? Uh, we like to think not. And I'm sure the reporters who work at vice will all say, no, of course not, but they're human. And it's hard not to let that the access affect your reporting. And this is something that journalists, as you know, Brian, on mm -hmm. the Hill deal with all the time. You want to cover the government aggressively. You want to be fair, but you also, <laughs> uh, um, you know, if there's wrongdoing, you want to expose it. And you always risk annoying the people you cover to the point that any kind of exclusive access you have, you might lose. Well, it, despite uh, despite the claims that Sun News Network had incredible access to the uh, the prime minister and the cabinet, many yeah. of them cut us off because, uh, specifically me, I, I was too aggressive with people like James Moore at Industry and Heritage and, and, and different people, and they just, no, we're not talking to you anymore. Yeah, and, 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 and that can happen to any. I know it's happened to you. Yeah, and I've never really kind of relied on having access to cabinet ministers or their staff because I don't really like to get into that game. I prefer to kind of snipe from the outside. Uh, so I, I don't feel like personally aggrieved by this. I wasn't going to go to Shoal Lake even if I'd been invited uh, or allowed. Uh, but, but uh, you what know, if something CT had happened? CTV could have had a camera there or a pool. We would take the pool camera for, for yeah. sure. But, uh, my colleague uh, Craig Oliver and I were talking about this today, and, and he mentions that what if something uh, happened to the prime minister on this trip? What if he was attacked? Uh, what if he became ill? 
there's been cases of premiers who have on foreign trips have, have uh, taken ill. I think in one case, uh, uh, someone died once. Uh, so these are the kind of things that you'd like to have the press there. Uh, the, the prime minister presented this as personal time, but he took a, a government jet at some considerable expense. And if he if he if the government didn't pay for it, I'd like to know who did. I mean, I, I can't imagine that Vice would have offered to un, to, to to pay to bring him there. And if they did, I think that would be a real problem. Yeah. Uh, but there's a question: Should the government be subsidizing Vice's documentary making, uh, in which in, 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 in a video that the Trudeau is starring in? I, I've got a lot of problems with this on a lot of levels, and it was it's, it seems to me so needless because it would have been so simple for the prime minister's office to say, okay, we're putting a, a pool camera on this and telling the people at Shoal Lake that this is a condition of the prime minister visiting. And if they didn't accept that condition, then maybe you find somewhere else to go. All right, uh, Glenn, uh, a quick question, because I know you are a sports fan. Uh, quick reaction to what's going on with uh, the, the LeBreton Flats decision, senators moving down there in about five years' time. Good, bad, indifferent, or you don't care? Uh, I think it would be great to have hockey down there. The, the machinations that will get us there, I can't imagine it's going to all be wrapped up with them. I can't see them dropping the puck there in five years, honestly. I, this is the NCC. Yeah, I think it'll take a lot longer than that. They can't order lunch in five years. I think giving Eugene Mellick's group the first kick at the can was probably the right way to go. They still have a negotiating position because they have this other bid waiting in the wings if they can't agree to, to terms with Melnick's group. But he does own the hockey team, and it'll be very difficult to see how this project would have advanced had he not been chosen and uh, they had to negotiate with someone who doesn't have a hockey team to put in an arena there. Oh, wow. All right, Glenn, great talking to you. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Glenn McGregor is the senior political correspondent for CTV National News. You can catch him at 11 with Lisa. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA. With Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. Do you remember when we were told we had to ban something called neonicotinoids? Neonicotinoids. Because what's killing off all the bees? It's killing off the bees, man. We got the bee colonies are falling apart. Apparently not. Just reading Alinka, a friend shared on um, bees. Because we've been told for the last few years the bee colonies are all dying, so we got to get rid of this thing that farmers were using on their crops called nicanoids. I think I'm saying it right. Honeybee populations are at record levels, and honeybee populations are not declining, said Hoover. They're talking about Shelley Hoover, an apiculture researcher with Alberta Agriculture and Forestry in Lethbridge, who was speaking to a group of canola farmers on how having bees in around your canola fields is good for the yield. They don't know why it's good for the yield, but apparently it increases the yield. So anyway, turns out the bee population is growing. But don't worry, the central planners will figure it all out. That's a theme for me today, central planners. Uh, earlier today, this is time for the Redux, and every day I try and bring you a different uh, different interview from elsewhere on CFRA that I think you should hear again. Bill Carroll had on Jan, uh, Janzia Jennings. She's with the Byward Market BIA, 
and was talking about this issue we discussed last night on getting rid of cars in the Byward market. I think it's a ridiculous idea. Ms. Jennings said, you know what, we already do that sometimes, but we don't need to do it all the time. Did that come out of left field for you, or did you see this one coming? Uh, well, when, uh, when we knew that Ecology Ottawa had invited her, we pretty much knew what their direction was. They were the ones uh, who had proposed that some years ago. And uh, that pro- proposal was actually what led to the creation of uh, William Square, which is uh, right beside the parking garage at the corner of William and York that uh, used to exit southbound, was changed to northbound so that we could create that public space. Okay. So cars not don't totally shop. Cars don't shop. People do. We saw retail sales soar when we pedestrianized Times Square. That's a quote from her as well. Uh, well, you're all about business. You think it'd be good for business to have more areas of the market shut down? Well, I think, I mean, we're always looking for ways to improve the pedestrian experience. So I, I kind of laugh because Times Square still has cars. So of course everybody's under the notion that there's absolutely no cars in Times Square. There are still cars. I was just on the live cam. There was a lineup of a 1,000 cabs in Times Square. But what they did was they slowly... Um, they took over lanes to create bigger, more open pedestrian spaces. And, and like the market, Times Square is a, you know, it's not just one little spot. It's, it's, it's a bit of an area. So for the market, I mean, we're always looking at ways to improve that pedestrian experience. So whether it's minimizing cars, exploring, closing down streets, perhaps for different occasions, uh, different days, I think there's a lot of openness around uh, the board table and around the market in general to look at different options. And I don't think anybody is um, supportive of closing it down to all cars because uh, we all know people have to get to the market. And really, I don't know that you can compare an outdoor farmer's market, food retail, to the shops that are available in Times Square. People aren't carrying Christmas trees, bags of potatoes, pumpkins through Times Square. Yeah, you really have to squint to make the comparison totally. But, I mean, here's the reality. Before I lived in Ottawa, when I come here on business, people would say, yeah, I mean, you got to see Parliament Hill. Well, of course, that's where I'm going to work. Uh, And go see Byward Market. I mean, you have a gem there for sure. And maybe maybe it's great just the way it is. Maybe you don't have to do anything. But you do sound like you're open-minded, but not to the concept of, of permanent closures. Am I, mean, I reading exactly. you right on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things that the board has been asking for some time of the city is if you look at York Street between Byward and Sussex. So in the PPS report, they said, put all the parking underground. That would be amazing. But I think we're all, we're all realistic in, in, in the sense that where's that money going to come from? But in the meantime, can we look at York Street and just remove that boulevard that's down the middle of York Street? And look at ways to improve that space so that we can explore options like festivals, events. So, for instance, when Blues Fest came down, uh, people were driving through the day. And then late afternoon, that big kind of square got shut down and we had concerts. And it was filled wall to wall with people. It was a really great experience. But we don't necessarily need that experience on a Monday in January. So how can we look at making the space more flexible 
for uses. And to remove that, bo- that boulevard would be amazing because when we ran our Harvest Fest last year, we were stuck in our logistics with having to deal with that big, you know, cement block in the middle. Bring that to grade. That allows, you know, you could set up vendors in, in different ways. You could create different kind of events down there. Um, but when, you know, when it's kind of business as usual, it goes back to parking and we can support the businesses. So, there, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunities for flexibility and experimentation. Well, I, I think you made a really interesting point that maybe I hadn't considered, and that is that Byward Market is a different kind of place at different days of the week, different times of the year. It is kind of always evolving, right? It's, this, it's a very cyclical kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, every single day it evolves. From morning, you see, uh, especially in the high season, so now you've seen the stands are going up, uh, the rickshaws are hitting the streets, the ambassadors are hitting the streets. I mean, everything's kind of coming back to life. So in the morning, you see the vendors pull in early, early. Some of them 5 a.m. are pulling in and start setting up the stalls and their fruits and vegetables for the day. And then, you know, so we've got that kind of hustle and bustle of the outdoor market and that market feel. Then, you know, as you get towards, you've got a lunchtime crowd. Then it changes over as people start coming in after work. Some people are coming in to pick things up on their way home. Some people are coming in to meet friends after work. And then, you know, changes into dinner crowds, and it changes into that nighttime atmosphere. And then, oh, we start the whole cycle over. So it's always evolving right. and changing. And some of those cycles need more access by cars than others. Exactly. All right. Makes sense. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you so much. Yasna Jennings, Executive Director of the Byward Market BIA. Didn't Miss Jennings sound so reasonable? Yeah, let's take cars out at some point, not at others. But, you know, the central planners, they just want to get rid of cars. The central planners want to make you drive an electric car and kill off an industry. The central planners want to make you live in a different type of home, work in a different type of place, and take public transit to work. We can come to compromise. We can find ways to work together. But the central planners, they got to go. Whether we're talking about Janique, uh, Jeanette, uh, Jeanette, sorry, Jeanette... Sadiq Khan, or the people at the NCC, or Kathleen Wynne. They got to go. When we come back, we'll talk more about what's going on with LeBreton Flats. We're going to hear from Councillor Alan Hubley. We'll hear from Councillor Tim Tierney. And then later, Bombardier. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. The committee has concluded that while both teams are qualified to continue, one submission ranked higher. Rendezvous LeBreton ranked highest. And there you have it. The decision everyone's been talking about for months, the decision that People have been talking about all day. Rendezvous Le Breton, also known as the essentially the senator's bid for redeveloping the 55 acres out by Le Breton Flats. They're the winning bid so far. It is unfortunately a very long and complex process that we can have to continue to go through. So they get the right to negotiate. They get to, you know, the right of first refusal, I guess. But this is not the end of it for them at all. And that was the executive director of the NCC, Mark Christensen, making the announcement earlier today. And he talked about the 
the need for this to, to be a city building activity. The committee, like the five neighbourhoods, which would be progressively uh, built out uh, over the period of the development, and the ancillary offer for the Sensplex, for the Ability Centre, for the Hall of Honours. Now, one of the big questions everybody had was, okay, well, if Melnick doesn't win, and you've got this other group coming in, led by Candarell and backed by some major players out of Quebec, and they're going to build an NHL-caliber arena, and we know the Senators want a new arena by, you know, 2021. They want a new arena. Their arena will be verging on 40 years old. Okay, what happens? Will they have to sell? Well, Chris Minson said they, they didn't actually even take the politics of the whole hockey side into things in making their decision. The evaluation committee, I can say didn't really consider the hockey politics at all. We were looking at city building. How did these, how would these plans full unfold over the decades and have the best chance of creating this great new neighborhood? And I'm a big fan of Lansdowne. I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of what they've done at Lansdowne. Maybe they could have added more housing into Lansdowne, more condo type things, but it's already a well-established neighborhood in the Glebe and then around there. But I think they did a good job of of making it fit in with the surrounding neighborhood, of making, but also making it a destination that people want to go to, not just for football games, not just for 67 games. By the way, July, July 7th or July 8th, it's coming quickly. That's the home opener for the Red Blacks. You want to be there. They did a good job at that. I'm hoping that they can do that here in rebuilding the Breton. As I expressed earlier, you know, I've got my, my pessimistic side and my optimistic side. My optimistic side wants to see a vibrant city. My optimistic side wants to see this succeed, for this to work. But then I've got the central planners. They screw things up all the time. This is going to be bad. Are they going to mess with Melnick's vision? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But no doubt Melnick was ecstatic today. I mean, you kept hearing Christy Cameron talking about it. It was just a a big ear-to-ear grin and then leaning over for a quick look at Cyril Leader when they made the announcement. But um, you could hear it as he talked about it, how happy he was that his bid was kind of the winning one. And I say kind of the winning one because it'll be a, a year away before the final decision. But today is a good day for Melnick. I think it's going to change the landscape of uh, the city for sure. Now more than ever, I believe, it will bring that Stanley Cup here sooner than you think. And I just really believe that. All right. What are your thoughts on this? We'll get to phone calls later on, but um, because coming up next, we're going to be talking with uh, City Councillor Alan Hubley from uh, Canada South. He represents one of three areas. I mean, you've got three councillors out there whose wards are going to feel a dramatic impact. From this, you've got Hoobly in Canada South, you've got Marion Wilkinson in Canada North, you've got Chad Cowdery out in Stittsville. The, where the Senators are playing now in the Canadian Tire Centre, I mean, that is a hub for those three areas. What's this going to mean? We'll talk to them about that shortly. Uh, and then later on, the fact is uh, we've also found out that um, you know, the library's not really part of it. Maybe it is. We'll see. We'll talk with Councillor Tim Tierney about that issue because Tierney is the chair of the the Library Services Board. So he's coming up after uh, the bottom of the hour news.
So you'll hear that side of this. I really want to focus on this, but not just the Melnick one isn't this great. Although he did win, so, I mean, why not hear from Eugene Melnick one more time? It's a project that uh, I'm so glad we won. I know that we're going to deliver everything we said we would do. I think it's going to change the landscape of uh, the city for sure. And uh, it's going to be a huge, huge win all around. No doubt that it will. No doubt that it will. But I just hope that his vision and the vision of Rendezvous LeBreton is able to survive going through with the NCC. Remember, LeBreton Flats, for better or worse, was, from everything I've read, a vibrant neighborhood. Yes, it was a working class neighborhood. Yes, there was light industrial down there. And that was felt to be an eyesore by some city planners. But it was still a neighborhood. And people lived there and had homes and they had lives. And it was torn down for urban planning needs before I was born. Before I was born. And it's been sitting empty for years. I just don't want the NCC to drag their feet on this. Now that they've made a decision, somewhat, they need to move forward. Do you have thoughts on on what's going on? Do you have thoughts on what's happened today? We'll open up the phones 9 o'clock. Uh, after the top, next top of the hour, 9 o'clock, we'll open the phone lines. But if you have thoughts now, you can email me, beyondthenews at cfra.com, beyondthenews at cfra.com, and uh, I'll post shortly to Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, by the way, I just want to drop in a little federal line here because I brought you the story a little while ago about uh, John McCallum being caught lying to... Um, John McCallum being caught lying uh, in the House of Commons. Now Christian Freeland's been caught out. The liberals, or sorry, the conservatives let the liberals walk on McCallum line. They didn't even, they barely raised the issue. They essentially let them off. Freeland booked a flight from Manila, Philippines to Los Angeles at great expense to us, you know, considering a flight. All told, it was about $20,000, so she could go see her friend Bill Maher. Because Freeland used to be a minor media celebrity in the U.S. before she became a Canadian politician. And she used to go on Bill Maher regularly. Well, in order to go on Bill Maher, it was $20,000 just in flights and hotels. But then, as I discovered, she agreed to go on Bill Maher. Then scrambled to find an excuse for why she needed to be in Los Angeles and set up a pile of meetings. I've got the documents. I've posted it on my Facebook page. You can find it there. We'll go through the, through the documents, and we'll see if the Conservatives let another Liberal cabinet minister walk on line to Parliament when the House resumes next week. But up next, Councillor Alan Hibley talking about what this means for Canada. It's been the center of Senators hockey for more than 20 years now. What's this going to mean now? Five years from now, will Canada be vastly different? Are we going to have a lot more car dealerships out there where the Canadian Tire Center is? Maybe a maybe an aquarium? Maybe houses? Who knows? We'll talk to him next. I'm Brian Lilly. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
You want to have some Scooby snacks with our next guest, you can do it next Saturday. This coming Saturday, uh, you may have seen a poster if you're out in Canada. Uh, you might have seen a poster with me because, um, I don't know, there's a mix-up. Anyway, uh, the um, Alan Ubley is going to host a, a luncheon, is it, Alan, or a snack fest out yeah, at Don Cherry's? Yeah, it's going to start at 12.30. It's a municipal panel, and uh, I've got uh, the chair of the Transit Commission, uh, Councillor Steve Blay, is mm-hmm. uh, coming uh, out and uh, also Councillor Jody Middick uh, will be there as well to uh, uh, take answers or, or sorry, take questions from. Uh, post- <laughs> I uh, love giving politicians answers. I want to give you people all the answers. <laughs> Where do you think we get our answers, Brian? <laughs> yeah, so, so it's to raise money for the Queensway Carlton Mental Health Win, uh, Mental Health Win. Okay. And uh, so really thankful that uh, they're able to join us. And, uh, you know, hopefully at one of the panels in the future, you'll be able to join us yeah. as well. Sorry I can't be there this week, but uh, kids' hey. confirmation and stuff will be busy. We and understand that, and your colleague uh, Rob Snow has so, uh, yeah. so agreed to uh, fill in, and you, so we're really happy. You want to hang with the snowman, Councillors yeah. Blay, Medic, and Hubley? You can. That sounds like a law firm, Blay, Mitic, and Hubley. Yeah. Uh, you so know you how can much go. Up. That's going to be to do that when Rob doesn't have the button to mute us. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go out. You can help raise money for the the Queensway Carlton Hospital. You can give politicians answers, and they'll take your questions. And uh, I, I've eaten out at Don Cherry's. Uh, you know, great food out there, and uh, and Dan and company put on a great spread. So uh, do check that out. Thank you, Brian. All right. So I, I wanted to have you on because. Everyone's talking about how great it is about the senators moving down to the Breton Flats. And I don't know. I, I, I think it is going to be great. But I've also gotten used to going out to Canada. And I, I, the areas around there have built up because of what we now call the Canadian Tire Center and has had many names over the years. There's going to be a big change for your area, for Councillor Chaudhry's area, for Councillor Wilkinson. This is going to be huge for you. Absolutely. It's a, it'll be a big hole in the middle of the community if, if something good doesn't happen with that site. Uh, I think a lot of people moved out here for more than just the SENS. Uh, and, you know, we have a, we're the number two employment area in the city now. There, that's how many jobs have been coming to Canada over the last little while. And it's only growing. Like, I have five new buildings going up in my industrial park this year alone and that, more that's being the, talked about. the one off of Terry Fox. Uh, yes. Uh, well, ter- there's a business park in the north off of Terry Fox. There's also a business park in the south yeah. off of Terry Fox. So I'm talking about the one in the south. The north is doing really well as what also. Okay. Uh, so that's probably why we've got such great employment numbers here is that both uh, areas are booming. Okay. But what what will losing the Senators and the concerts and the Disney on Ice and the RV shows and everything else that goes with what is now this NHL-caliber arena, what's that going to mean? I'm guessing that that restaurants will feel the pinch. I'm guessing that there's... It depends what goes in there, Brian. Okay, so what do you you see going in there? It's private land. You know, it can't go through an NCC-type process. Nope. Uh, But uh, what would you like uh, to see out there? What I'd like to see is some sort of a, a water park, theme park kind of idea. You know, some mixed retail in there. A little uh, bit of Allen's uh, Lazy River? Doesn't have to be named after me, but uh, <laughs> I would love a Lazy River, that's for sure. <laughs> it's one of my uh, favorite times when we get down south to the parks that have these things, but I'd love to see that in Ottawa. We're, we're a city of almost a million people. Uh, I think we're ready for that, and so 
I look at this as an opportunity. It, it Maybe the Sens moving to Le Breton is what it's going to take to get a Stanley Cup here in Ottawa, and I think that would be very exciting for the whole city. So I'm okay with that. I, I'm going to miss the team. I would have really liked to have them here. The residents of Canada have supported that team for years and filled the seats. So, you know, but we can wish them well on their new adventure. But our attention is going to be on what happens to that site. What do we need to do to protect the um, uh, the job growth out here to make sure that that continues? And uh, how can we help whoever the owner of that site is going to, going to be to make sure that um, uh, that they they're able to deliver something really great for the community. Have you had any conversations with uh, Mr. Melnick, Mr. Leader, anybody else involved with the senator's organization about what they see as the future? Well, with the exception of Mr. Melnick, everybody else is here in the community all the time. As you know, he has business in Toronto and goes to uh, Barbados and everything. So you don't see Mr. Melnick as much, but mm-hmm. the rest are, are, are here. They're in the grocery stores. They buy the gas at the same place we do. So, yes, I see people all the time from the organization. And I think what uh, everybody was waiting for was, let's get the LeBreton announcement out of the way, and then we'll talk about what we can do. Okay. So, I'm so you, you'd like to see something to marquee out there. I mean, I, I think the worst that could happen, I mean, there's a lot of great possibilities. I mean, this is, the site's big enough that you could have a, you know, a nice little village go in there. You could have, um, you know, a housing development go in there. You could do all sorts of things. I, the worst that could happen is you just bulldoze it and make it a parking lot. Uh, exactly. And I don't, uh, I'm pretty certain nobody's talking about uh, uh, turning it into a parking lot. Uh, it, you know, you, I think you said earlier um, when I was listening to you that maybe that's where the, uh, an aquarium could go. There, there's room there. There's a, a lot of space, prime space, because it's right on the highway, perfect access to the 417 and the 416 highway. Uh, you know, with the Hunt Club and, and the work that we're trying to get done along Old Richmond and uh, Hope Side Road and Hunt Club, it's going to have great access to the airport. It's a good spot uh, to put something in there that will bring people from all over the region. So it's, uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm still happy today. Okay, right. yeah, you know, I'm a little surprised. I thought, I thought that you might be down, but, I mean, you, you are not, like many councillors, you're not a just, um, I look after only my ward and I only care about my ward. You, you're out and about the whole city. It's a city, we have to have that city vision, but, uh, and, you know, so I'm going to have to drive a little farther to see Chris Neal and all those other players that I like Yeah, so Chris Neal ain't going to be playing by the time they get to that building. I uh, might be coaching by then, but that's, <laughs> I'll still get to see him. All right. Councillor Alan Hubley represents Canada South on City Council. Thanks for the time, Alan. Thank you, Brian. And if you want to check out his event, uh, Don Cherry, 12.30 on Saturday. You can see Snowman, you can see Councillor Hubley, you can see Councillor Medic and Councillor Blay. Give them answers, get some good food. It's all great. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk about what this decision means for the library next. Then, Bombardier wants more of your money. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. A rebirth of Le Breton Flats. And, um, you know, we will certainly, from the city's perspective, uh, do whatever we can to ensure that the process 
goes smoothly um, and uh, remains open and, and transparent. Open and transparent. Aren't those the buzzwords of the day? But one thing that is not part of this plan to rebirth LeBreton Flats for now is a new central library. I know that's going to make some people like Bookmark the Core very happy. Some people that think the central library has to be, you know, right at Metcalf and Albert or Laurier or what have you. It's got to be there or nowhere else. But Tim Tierney is chair of the city's library board, and I wanted to bring him on today and and ask him, what does this mean, Tim? Is the library plan dead? Because let's face it, libraries are not what they used to be for a city. Uh, there are probably fewer users. There's um, There's a lot of competition out there. And building a big new central library is going to cost a lot. You had a plan that would have partnered with Library and Archives Canada. The NCC said, that's outside of our boundaries. So is it dead? Is it still viable? What? Uh, Well, first of all, good evening, uh, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I just wanted to correct a couple of things. Um, The Library and Archives Canada uh, possible opportunity on a partnership is uh, completely aside from anything with the NCC. Um, but uh, but in regards to the two uh, proponents that came forward with the libraries in it, uh, I think uh, during d- today's discussion they did come out and say that uh, that the library was not part of the bidding uh, and and the matrix on how they scored points because the senators one was outside of the zone. Uh, that being said, we've always said and we continue to maintain uh, we're moving ahead with our process and uh, we're building a, you know we're looking at building a library a new central library. There is a possible opportunity with Library and Archives Canada that's still to be evaluated. We finished our REOI process, which is going out, doing information requests with different people. There was 14 proponents that came back in. Now we're actually at the next phase. So we have two major uh, next uh, milestones. The first one is the call out uh, to uh, people that actually have land, and we're actually doing that tomorrow. That's going out on Mercs, making the call out to see who has interest in land that wants to be part of this process as an official call-out. And as well, we also have in May, uh, May 16th, and uh, your listeners, if they want to register and come down, remember, this is a city central library. This isn't just about a ward-specific area. Mm-hmm. If they're interested, come out and take part in the the uh, consultations in regards to criteria that, uh, that uh, people can examine and discuss on what they feel is important uh, in regards to uh, Central Library. And ultimately, in the end, uh, when it comes back to the board at the end of the year, there'll be a complete package with uh, financial decisions, all the criteria that come out of everything that's given back to the board, to our city council, and by the end of the year, we should be in a position to know exactly what we're doing. Okay, so the NCC said that's not part of our bid, but it doesn't mean that the idea that this could be in LeBreton as part of this exciting, if never-ending, development uh, it's not saying no to that. No, again, you know, uh, I'll leave that up to them, how they want to come back in, but we've always maintained and will continue to say that we have a process. We're moving ahead. We voted on it last year, and we're going to continue on our stream. If they want to join the party, great, uh, but uh, they'll have to do it like everybody else does and go through the uh, go through the front door, uh, and, uh, and we have a process in place, and we're looking forward to... Uh, having, uh, you know, a great gem in our city and a new central library, and we'll hopefully have a good decision uh, in front of our city council by the end of this year. So you're looking at downtown city um, sites between Bayview and King Edward. Is, are those the parameters? Yeah, so we... So, we there's, not back, an, there's not a lot of open land uh, between those two uh, spaces, Councillor. 
Well, again, and that's why we're doing the open call. And again, I'm not privy to what came in on the ROI, the, uh, the request for expression of interest that uh, that took place. Uh, that was closed confidential meetings. Uh, we're not privy to those uh, initial discussion points. But now that we're putting this call out, we're going to find out exactly what is or is not available. And it's a pretty large, a pretty large area that we're talking about basically from one side of LeBreton Street through to the canal, if you want to just put it in, a, in, in layman's terms. So it is a quite, quite the large area. Uh, we're hoping that uh, we're doing two streams as part of our, our evaluation of criteria. One, if we go in on our own, and as you know, that could cost uh, taxpayers if we built it on our own, the tune of $86 million. So we're looking for any opportunities or partnerships, and that's a call out to anybody out in the industry. Uh, uh, but if we partner with Library and Archives Canada, that cost could dramatically be decreased, and we'd have a great partnership with somebody that has synergies, just like us, on the library front. Okay. And, and, and on the library front, mm-hmm. too, uh, you know, in your lead-in, uh, you're, you're quite right. Libraries are not the same anymore. It's not just books. Uh, it's places and spaces, your 3D printing, uh, your, your meeting areas, your auditoriums. It's a very different library of today than it was maybe even 20 years ago. And we're not looking uh, – we've scoped out, I think, a right-sized library, uh, not the Taj Mahal. There's been many calls to have a much larger library, but we think this is the right size for us. Our board voted a year ago, and we're moving ahead with those plans. Uh, all right. So let me throw something else out there. If I'm a, a developer in the area, there's lots of condo buildings going up. We've got a condo building going up not far from where I'm sitting now that will include uh, a redeveloped arts court. So if I say, you know what, I'd love to put up a condo building, but wouldn't it be great to have three, four floors near the bottom, public library, uh, public spaces, wouldn't this be fantastic? People like that could jump into the, the discussion as well? Well, you know, we're looking for any opportunities, uh, but uh, they have to come through our process, which is, I love those buzzwords, transparent. Of course it's transparent. Uh, As well as, uh, you know, we do have an integrity commissioner that's dedicated just to this, a fairness commissioner, I should say. Uh, And uh, if uh, if anyone has any thoughts, they can definitely bring them through our process. But again, we still have a while to go, Brian. We have to... uh, finalize some of the criteria, uh, you know, again, doing two streams and trying to decide if we have a possible marriage with Library and Archives Canada is still not really determined yet. So we, we still have a, a ways to go. I'll definitely love to come back in your show and, and keep everyone abreast of what's happening. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, I think it's still good news. I, I'm very happy for the sentence. Uh, congratulations to them on, mm-hmm. you know, on moving ahead finally. Finally, something's going to happen with that land. <laughs> it feels like forever. Uh, well, uh, but, uh, in we'll, we'll in my lifetime, it would be forever because uh, they raised LeBreton Flats before I was born, and they've been <laughs> promising redevelopment since. So there you have it. Tim, uh, thanks for joining me. Councillor Tim Tierney, uh, for, who's chair of the Library Services Board and uh, still looking for a spot. So maybe LeBreton, maybe not, but uh, most likely not an aquarium out there. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Coming up, we're going to talk Bombardier and subsidies for an aerospace giant that just sold a boatload of planes. News Talk 580 CFRA. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
I'm celebrating today a fantastic piece of news. This is a beautiful example of Canadian innovation. I couldn't be happier for Bombardier. I happen to love the aerospace uh, world, and I think that uh, this is the best, the best uh, airplane in the world. All right, that is Transportation Minister Mark Garneau talking about the huge order that uh, Delta Airlines is putting in for Bombardier's new C-Series Jets. Delta's going to buy up to 125 It's a multi-billion dollar order. By the way, if you haven't flown Delta, they already fly the uh, the older planes that Bombardier met, the Canada Regional Jet. So they're familiar with the company. Now they're coming to them for their new, bigger, quieter, faster jet. This is the one that Bombardier's been saying we need money for. I'd say this is a good news story. Aaron Woodrick is with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Their national director joins me now. And Aaron, you and I have discussed this on the air. Bombardier's request for federal money should be turned down. There should be a business case. To me, this says, hey, there's a business case. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, we said all along if there was a business case, you know, you would think some private money and actual buyers would be interested. And that seems to be the case. Look, Brian. We said as long as a month ago, their own executive came out and said on the record publicly that they, quote, very clearly didn't need a bailout. I don't know how much clearer you can get. If they didn't need it a month ago, surely after getting this, this order, which is great news for the company, it's their biggest order to date. It's worth probably up to $5 billion, they're saying. Um, I can't think of why they would need a bailout at this point. So it's a little bit strange that we're even still talking about this. A company that seems to be doing well does not need a taxpayer bailout. Now, uh, out of, um, let's see, we've got Delta adding up to 125 now. Uh, we've got other companies that have ordered uh, smaller numbers, including Air Baltic, uh, Swiss Global Airlines, uh, some smaller companies. You know, a lot of these are small orders. This is a big one. This should be a sign that, hey, there is an opportunity, and, and I want Bombardier to succeed, Aaron. I really do. I've, I've flown on Porter many times. They use Bombardier jet uh, turboprops exclusively. They're fantastic. They're quiet. They're comfortable. I love it. But I don't want a billion dollars going to this. But uh, Quebec Premier Philip Couillard is still out there saying governments need to be part of this. This is the, and the most important innovation project in Canada today is a C-series airplane. And we should be all proud of that. And governments should be there in a strategic way. We don't want to become uh, makers of, of airplanes, but we want to support innovation. Governments in a situation like this should not behave like investors or bankers, but like economic agents. Economic agents. <laughs> yeah, you know, I heard that quote today, Brian, and mm. I thought to myself, you know, what does he mean by economic agents? If we were going to be like investors or bankers, presumably we'd be in it because it was a smart investment. But well, I'm not quite sure what he means when he says economic agents. Is it taxpayers are supposed to hand over money regardless of whether we're going to get it back? It's a very strange statement to make. The federal government has not ruled out. Mark Garneau did not rule out uh, federal tax dollars going to Bombardier. Again, even though they are selling more of their aircraft, they're getting real orders, they're getting hard orders. So we're st- we could still be on the hook, and, and that leaves me worried. Um, but you know, at the same time, we've got a government that refuses to do anything for the uh, oil industry out, out west. I mean, they, they won't move ahead quickly on pipelines, which would not cost money from the taxpayer, uh, they won't even do the expansion of EI that they've done for other parts of the country when they've been hard hit with large numbers of layoffs. How much do you think regional politics 
plays into this. And the fact that the, the liberals are very high in Quebec, they're well represented in Quebec, they love Quebec, but Alberta, mm, Saskatchewan, mm, they're not so fond. Yeah, you know, Brian, it's all about regional politics. In fact, when we talk about corporate welfare in particular, the focus is generally in Ontario and Quebec. In fact, one of the biggest uh, arguments that Premier Couillard is making um, is he's saying, look, Ontario got a bailout for its automakers, so why don't you do the same for Quebec? Even stranger, he actually admitted today, and that's part of that same quote that you played back, um, he said, uh, look, Ottawa lost several billion uh, on the auto bailout. And so, you know what? What's, what's, what's the big deal with losing a few billion in Quebec? I thought that was an astonishing statement, basically saying <laughs> oh, because, we're, because you wasted a billion, a few billion in Ontario, you should be able to waste a few billion in Quebec, too. I just thought that was a shocking thing to say. Uh, well, I mean, it's a completely different topic, but I, I don't know if you saw the report both in The Globe today and a news release put up by the Ontario government. I spoke about this earlier in the show. Uh, the Ontario and the federal government helped bail out the auto industry, and now Kathleen Wynne is determined to kill the auto industry in Ontario because she's got this new agency. She wants uh, 500 electric vehicle charging stations across the province in a couple years. She wants uh, hundreds of thousands of, um, or, or, or sorry, uh, well over a million new electric vehicles on the road. She wants to get rid of internal combustion engine, which is what we build in Ontario. We don't even build any electric cars. She's trying to shut it down. Yeah, it's an, it's an insane statement about the way the province of Ontario, to be honest, approaches economic issues. On the one hand, they do everything they can to squeeze the life out of business, whether it's higher taxes, higher energy costs. And then they turn around and argue that they have to subsidize them with tax dollars <laughs> to keep them in Ontario. I mean, maybe if you didn't crush their ability to be competitive, you wouldn't need to subsidize them in the first place. But instead, right. you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a terrible approach. And it's, sort, it's sad to see places like Alberta looking to Ontario for inspiration and in how, how to structure their economy. I, uh, I have to tell you, the first thing I thought of when I heard that uh, Bombardier had this new order for the C-Series jet was great. Then I heard Cuillard wanted to still subsidize them, and I thought of the old line, if it's moving, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. If it stops moving, subsidize it. That's where we're at. Aaron, thanks for the time. Thanks, Brian. All right. Aaron Woodrick is the executive director, sorry, national director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, well, you've been hearing from me all night. I want to hear from you. 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. Obviously, the biggest story of the day is what's happened at LeBreton Flats. That is the biggest story in Ottawa right now. 55 acres downtown. On our web poll, by the way, and maybe it's been skewed by the fact that for the last almost six hours, we've known what the decision has been. But the web poll today was, which bid do you prefer for LeBreton Flats? 72.2% were picking Rendezvous LeBreton, the winning bid. 27.8% picked DevCore Candarel DLS. So what are your thoughts on it? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-2372. Now, Chris emails in with a, a fascinating question. I think I generally know the answer, Chris, but I'll give you what I think, but don't quote me on this. He says, okay, uh, five communities will be built on LeBreton Flats. I think in the winning bid, it's actually three. In the bid that lost, it was five. But there's going to be a number of neighborhoods built around these landmark attractions. Chris said, my question has to do with the land. Since this is federally owned land, and no one has said if the land will be sold to the developers or leased, if someone buys a house in these new developments, will they own the land their house sits on? 
It's a valuable question. Now, if it ends up being condos, no, not really, because condos is like communism meets capitalism. As someone that's lived in a condo, yeah, you don't really own your place ever, but it beats renting. But I don't think that we're I don't think we'll see, you know, 99 year leases. There are a number of parcels of land around the capital, really across the country. Toronto is dealing with a huge one with the old uh, Downsview Airport or Downsview Base. Uh, There's land in the south end and the east and the west here in the capital that has been taken over by Canada Lands Corporation. We're about to watch that happen with the old Rockcliffe Air Base in the east end near Montreal and St. Laurent. And what they've done is, okay, it's federal land. Eventually, it is turned over to a developer. The the developer pays for the land and then turns around and sells it to you. So the government makes money, the developer makes money, and in the end, my experience with what Canada Land Corporation has done, they've turned out some very nice neighborhoods. I used to live backing onto Deerfield. I was in a an older townhouse complex, moved in. There was scrubland in behind me. And then they put in this neighborhood called Deerfield. And this was former, everyone thought it was Greenbelt, but really it was uh, natural resources and mines. That's how long it had been around was it was still, and mines was part of the name of the department on the signs. They put in walking and cycling paths. They put in a, a, a nice suburban neighborhood. They really upped everyone's land value. And people that moved in there got some very nice homes of all price ranges. So it was really good to see. That's what I think is going to be happening there, Chris. But, you know, I haven't seen the details. We don't know the details. That's going to be negotiated over the next little while. What happened today was the beginning It's a new beginning on the process. They've said this is the bid that we want to start negotiating with, but that may not be the bid that they end up negotiating with. We'll see. Likely will be, but we'll see. What are your thoughts? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. You can also feel free to call in on other issues that I've raised tonight. The, The media being excluded from a prime minister's visit to a troubled reserve in northern Ontario. Kathleen Wynne wants to change your life. And Christian Freeland and the Liberals lying to Parliament. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. 521 Talk, 521 8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. You want to email me? It's beyond the news at CFRA.com. And um, eventually I'll get to the Twitter machine and the Facebook and everything else. Up on Facebook right now, my latest piece for the Rebel.media explaining how Christia Freeland, Justin Trudeau's Minister of International Trade, decided while she was at APEC on our dime. How she gave up a, you know, I guess for a lack of a better term, free ride home from the Philippines on the government jet. You know, we'd already sent over the government jet to look after her and Trudeau and officials. They were all supposed to fly there, then fly back, government jet. That's what it's there for. It's so that it's secure. It's so that it costs us less. All of that. That's fine. 
I actually don't have a problem with government jets used properly. But Freeland got an invite to go on Real Time with Bill Maher. It is last November. She sent her staff, I mean, these poor staff members, I went through hundreds of pages of emails and memos and documents on the access to information side of things to prepare this report on the rebel. And we'll have more tomorrow, uh, including her obsession with wanting to tweet. But this woman put her staff through hell because she got an invite to go on real time with Bill Maher. And they then had to find an excuse to have her in Los Angeles. She was going on Bill Maher on Friday night, but she was flying into L.A. on Thursday and she was going to leave on Saturday. Okay, we got to fill the minister's schedule so that she has an excuse to be there other than going on an HBO show watched by uber liberals across North America. Go. She made the decision on a Friday, uh, sorry, on a Saturday, the Saturday before. We've got the receipts. You know, the conservatives have raised this already, by the way, about uh, how much this costs. It's about $20,000 for her to divert to L.A. and go on real time with Belmar. But when asked about it, this and this is this is the real problem. When asked about it, the liberals just lied. Because they said, oh, no, she was there and went on the TV show because she was engaging with stakeholders and industry people in 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 Los Angeles, Fido for Canada's economic interests, and that's what this was about, and why are you raising questions about it? It's so good. It's wonderful. No. We've got the documents. She decides on a Saturday, we need to do this. They call Scott McCord Travel, travel agent in town. By the way, great travel agent. You need to get somewhere fast. You need you know, someone that can can look after things and manage complex issues and find stuff when everything's sold out. He does that. That's his specialty. And so everybody calls on him. Conservatives, liberals, senators, MPs, businesses. That's what they do. So we've got the, we've got the receipts from that. But now, that, that was out there before. Now what we have are all the emails from the bureaucrats. All right, so book the travel on the Saturday. Monday. Uh, All right, let's start figuring out what the minister's going to do while she's in L.A., okay? The day before she's to land, they're still sending around emails saying, okay, so we can get her into this event that the B.C. government's putting on, uh, and she can speak at that for a couple of minutes, and we're proposing that we invite this group of people to breakfast the next day, and then she can tour IMAX, and she can do a luncheon with these people, and it's all tentative. The day before she lands, everything is tentative. Why? Because they're backfilling. And that's fine. Just admit what you did. Admit the truth. But they stand up in the House of Commons and they lie, just like John McCallum lied in the House of Commons about the whole issue of how much the military spent to get ready to house refugees that never went. He was asked about it and asked, why is this coming out of the military budget? He turns around, and this is what the liberals do. They turn around and they say, well, you know, why are you being upset at helping refugees? Nobody's being upset at helping refugees. People are upset that you're taking money from the military to pay for things your department should have paid for, John McCallum. But then 
Then he said, the Minister of Defense assures me this never happened. As I showed at the rebel, as I read to you here on the air at CFRA, the minister had actually filed a month earlier an official response in the House of Commons to an official question on how much money was spent. I'd done reports on it. Now, for all intent purposes, the Conservatives let the Liberals walk on that last one. They let them walk. They barely called McCallum to task for it. They asked a question. McCallum lied. In the middle of a debate on something else, they raised a point of order and then dropped it. What are they going to do about Freeland? Are they going to be as wimpy with Freeland as they were with McCallum? I don't know. I don't know. I hope not. Because here's the simple fact of the matter. This government needs to be held to account. This federal government, the one that just went to, sent the prime minister on a government jet to a northern Ontario reserve on our dime, and then excluded all other media except Vice, who they've got some type of an agreement with. All of that. They need to be held to an account. But they're not being held to account. Except here on this radio station, at the Rebel, and a very few other places. Other than that, it's, it's not happening. Not by the opposition parties and not by the media party. And it's time for that to change. You have thoughts on this? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And if you're out of town, it's 1-800-580-CFRA. That's 1-800-580-2372. LeBreton Flats, do you have thoughts on this? Like I said, I'm excited. I like the idea of LeBreton Flats finally being redeveloped. I've been hearing about this redevelopment for almost 20 years. Moved to Ottawa 18 years ago. 18 years ago, I've been hearing about the redevelopment coming for LeBreton Flats, and now I'm told it's going to last another 30 years before it's fully redeveloped. I think we can do it a little faster. So I'm optimistic, I'm happy, and yet I'm pessimistic because now I worry that the uh, central planners at the NCC will get involved. I worry that they will try and nitpick their way in and out of Mr. Melnick's plan. I worry that they will try and infuse some latest fad, like car chargers or something else, into the plan that doesn't need to be there. Unless you think I'm crazy, remember, I read this to you earlier. The Globe Mail reporting this morning Ontario was going to set up a whole new agency with a mandate to overhaul how you and I use energy. Haven't they done enough with that already? With our green energy plan? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. This is from the Globe. The Ontario government plans to make the majority of the province's buildings emissions-free and slash the use of cars to just 20% of commuter trips by 2050 as part of a dramatic plan to meet its climate change goals. To achieve these aims, the province will establish a new ultra-low carbon utility, an agency with a sweeping mandate to change everything about how Ontarians use energy to reduce carbon emissions drastically. They want to take 
internal combustion engines, the regular type of cars that we actually make in the province, they want to take those off the road. They want us to have 1.7 million electric or hybrid cars in use by 2024. You know there's only a few thousand, a few thousand electric cars on the road in Ontario now. Despite massive rebates, despite a big push, But in eight years, they want us to have 1.7 million electric cars on the road. The industry says this is not going to happen. The industry says this cannot happen. What about you? Are you ready to pay two and three times what it costs for a regular car to get an electric car so you feel better about yourself? Is your self-esteem so low that you want to, um, to overpay for a car so you can say, I'm a good person? Let me know. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or beyond the news at CFRA.com. I'm getting a little lonely on the email, folks. So if you're shy to call, too shy to call in, email me. I'm Brian Lilly. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. On News Talk 580 CFRA. Getting a couple of fun emails on the the Freeland issue. People annoyed at the minister wanting to charge you to go and see uh, Bill Maher. Isn't that part of what the Duffy trial was about? One of the charges against Mike Duffy was, well, he booked this thing that he wanted to go to and then found a, uh, you know, government business reason to be there. That's what Christia Freeland did. She wanted to go see her old buddy Bill Maher and then found a reason to be there, including saying, well, I had to have a bilateral meeting with Senator Angus King in Los Angeles. I don't know if you know who Senator Angus King is. He's a Democrat from Maine. How good is your geography? Is it better than uh, Sade? Do you remember Sade from the 80s? She had that song where she'd sing, Coast to coast, L.A. to Chicago. Like, what coast? The coast of Lake Michigan? The Pacific Ocean to Lake Michigan? Is that the coast to coast she was talking about? So Christy Freeland goes to Los Angeles to meet with Senator Angus King from Maine. That forested state you know they produce lovely clothes and stuff if you're into the outdoors it's that little state tucked under new brunswick it's on the east coast in fact from ottawa if you want to go to the atlantic ocean to a beach it is the closest beach old orchard closest beach i've been told to ottawa on the ocean so she could have met him anywhere in the eastern part of North America, but she met him. She had a bilateral meeting with Senator Angus King in Los Angeles. Do you know why? Because he was also booked to be on the Bill Maher Show. All right, let's hear it, everybody. And she claimed this is one of the reasons for all of us to pay for her to go. Uh, And by the way, um, yeah, yeah, Um, HBO paid for her hotel rooms. They booked it. So that's kind of a sign that that's the reason she was there. 
I don't know, maybe people don't care about liberals lying anymore. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Mobility. Gloria in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Oh, boy, this you always have so many good topics. Anyway, you know what? I wanted to talk about Watson and the cars and, and mm-hmm. sort of, Hold on, in case you're going to go off on Jim Watson having a war on cars about the Byward market. So far, he's not he's not saying yes to that. No, no, let's keep him on side on that. It's it's about anything to do with cars. I mean, to me, he's a chameleon, and and you know, he's a politician. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't fool anybody. At least he doesn't fool me. I mean, the thing is, he backs. All these left-wing liberal re-engineering, uh, 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 controlling every part of our lives. And he has a tendency, to me, to hide in the background, and he lets these left-wing organizations like Ecology Ottawa do the upfront work. You know, and, and it's obvious Mr. Watson and the councillors want us out of our cars because they constantly mention biking, walking, transit, like it was our only choice of transportation. And the thing is, Mr. Watson rides around in a uh, uh, chauffeur-driven car. And it's time he followed his own words and and biked or walked or took (laughs) transit as his own form of transportation. Gloria, I remember asking councillors who pushed this same agenda years ago when I was a reporter at City Hall. They said, well, how do you get to work? (laughs) <laughs> why don't Why don't you take the bus? Well, I have meetings during the day. Oh, so arrogant. So do I. Yeah, it's 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 just arrogant. It's do as I say, not do as I do. You know, yeah. and and the thing is, I mean, the the, the left wing controlling liberals—they've yet to get it into the thick heads that the car is king and always will be. And now, like uh, you mentioned, we've got. Uh, control freak wind breathing down 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 our necks and and uh with this only 20 percent of commuters are allowed to drive cars she, can, which will be electric cars anyway can can you imagine 80 percent of people anywhere i mean not just ottawa but anywhere yes. in this province getting to work by public transit walking or cycling uh you, you know if, if we truly believed in this City Hall, they used to talk about it as uh, work, live, play. You should work, live, and play in the same neighborhood. Well, if that's what we believed in, Gloria, we wouldn't be spending billions of dollars on an LRT designed to get people downtown and back in time for rush hour traffic. Exactly. And the thing is, Chernochenko has said on several times that... this The LRT, $3 billion that we're in the hole for by this uh, Mr. Watson and his, and his uh, council, uh, the, the thing is, it won't help a lot of people. And I can't understand it. The only thing I can think of is that this is a vanity project of an ego project for Mr. Watson. He's going to say, here's the LRT, but oh, there's no riders on it. There's hard because it doesn't help any. It hardly helps any any of the, of the, of the people who 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 should be riding on it. You know, it it to me is an LRT to to nowhere. But that's exactly what he's doing. And the thing is, the opposition parties and the left wing media they have really been failing us by saying little or nothing on this. Ridiculous engineering of every single part of of our lives and trying to well, control. Because they, 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 I think because they like it. Thanks for the call, Gloria. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Gloria mentioned about 
Jim hiding behind left-wing groups and letting them do the, the heavy lifting, and then he's behind. I actually think Jim Watson is, is reachable, and he can go on both sides. That's a chameleon. That's a politician, what have you. But here is the left tactic, and I, I read about it in a group called Deep Green Resistance. You let the radical groups underneath push for things that the, 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 the front guys can't talk about. And they push for it, and they push for it, and push for it until it becomes acceptable. It's the whole Overton window theory I've been talking about. We'll discuss that more. You'll hear me talk about a lot of theories over the next while. 521-TALK, 521-8255 if you want to join the conversation. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, beyond the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I don't have time to get into it tonight, but some interesting documents sent to me on the issue of photo radar. Read those, get into those tomorrow, perhaps, on uh, an issue that some want to bring to this city. Again, a bit of a what's Kathleen Wynn's favorite term? Revenue tool. I think tool's an appropriate word for her, but that's just me. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to join the conversation. I'm laughing at myself because I can. Peter in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News, Peter. Yeah, hi, good evening, Brian. I'm just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, uh, Mr. Trudeau has uh, hired a British uh, uh, guru, a management guru, consultant uh, named Mr. Sir Michael Barber, mm-hmm. somebody, somebody Barber, ten thousand dollars a day, and David really does a pretty good job in in analyzing um, what this guy was able to do for you know the Liberals in Ontario under McGuinty, and it's a pretty mixed bag. I think it's kind of silly. I mean, the whole point is of government is to have qualified people who have the courage. And I think that's really what it comes down to is being able to have the courage and the knowledge to or to act on your knowledge and act on your plans, not hide behind some uh, foreign consultant if things go wrong. <laughs> well, I, I mean, Peter, what we need to do is find the synergies that we can extrapolate upon in order to deliver upon externalities that um, I'm just looking for other buzzwords here that I can throw into a sentence and charge ten thousand yeah. dollars a speech. Uh you're correct. We we pay civil servants in this country well. We expect them to have a certain level of knowledge. And then governments, and this happens at municipal, uh, provincial, federal levels, all stripes, they turn around and hire consultants. And then, uh, you know, the difference here is normally a new government comes in and says, well, we won't be like those last guys. We won't hire the conservatives. Or, sorry, we won't hire the consultants. That's normally what they do. You know, they blame the conservatives before them or the liberals before them for hiring too many consultants. And there's a time period where consultants are on the wane and then they come back in. These guys have just jumped right in and they've hired these guys twice now to speak to cabinet. Uh, I thought that they were elected with a coherent plan. I thought that they had a qualified team, that these were the claims they made. I thought that we had a qualified and competent civil service. 
that's the claim that they made. We're going to trust the civil servant. So I don't know exactly. why they're hiring them uh, exactly. other than to show up and give buzzwords. And and I've been to too many, uh, both government and corporate, because corporations, big corporations especially, hire these outside consultants that come in, and they talk at everyone. They don't talk to anyone. They talk at people, and they, you know, it's just, it's mumble-jumble for the most part. Most people do not walk out uh, saying, yeah, I really understand what that person was talking about. Yeah, these these guys are like uh, Tony Robbins figures for, for bureaucrats, and uh, you're right. You know, we Tony it, Robbins, we I think, would at least make you feel good about yourself on the way out the door. Yeah, exactly. He'd give you a, you know, he'd give you a free cap and a T-shirt to boot. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's like it, David really does a pretty good job in the article in The Citizen today about pointing out uh, – you know how how uh, how ineffective these these efforts can be. Um, I just think it's it, it doesn't reflect well on on, on Trudeau to, to 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 go this route, and it, it shows that there's he doesn't have the confidence or the conviction of his ideas. If he ever ha- you know, the article goes on to say that how do you deliver on your campaign promises? So if this is the way the system truly works. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't bode well. I don't think. No, I I have to agree with you. I don't think it does. So uh, are we getting value for money? I don't think so. Are we getting value for money in uh, Christy Freeland going on Bill Maher and making Canada look bad? I don't think so. We're going to lose value for money on an awful lot of things with these guys. Yeah. I remember remember back in the Maruti days, you had uh, cabinet ministers doing things like that. I mean, remember uh, Marcel Mass, he, uh, he overloaded his limousine with electronics and TVs and fax machines and it caught on fire. I mean, there's all kinds of embarrassing <laughs> things. Like, yeah, you now, might remember that. Now, I, but, I, um, I, I don't remember that, but um, I will tell you now they don't have limousines. Uh, I know some of my media colleagues like to say they have limousines. Do you know what they're mostly driving? Uh, electric bicycles? No, no. They're, I mean, they still have a car and driver. And let's, not, let's not mince words. They have a car and driver. But um, they're often driven around in Camrys, Dodge Grand Caravans, uh Jason Kenny used to have a Ford Explorer. It's like oh, a, a, a low-level SUV with a, yeah. a, 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 a really tiny engine that can't go very fast. That's funny enough what uh, I saw the health minister show up at an event recently. She got out of one of these little, you know, I, I call them the, the lady SUVs. All, all, all the ladies like the, the small SUVs because they're sporty and they're fun. They're, they're the, yeah. that sort of thing. They're not limos anymore, and they haven't been since the Mulroney days because everyone got in trouble. Thanks for the call, Peter. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, Michelle, am I going to get in trouble for saying a lady's SUV? Not at all. Not with me. Not when you're talking <laughs> about them. Um, Bill Maher, he's mm-hmm. vulgar, ugly, sarcastic, and he makes me sick. And who the hell does she think she is taking $20,000 of taxpayers' money to stroke her ego deficit? It's bad enough we have to pay for the CBC. Why the hell would we have to pay to support an American liberal show? It's unbelievable. And you know darn well it will never be held accountable, not like a $7 glass of orange juice was. I mean, the liberal uh, let, let's No, no, Michelle. Don't claim it was a $7 glass of orange juice. You know it was $16 that was wasted there. I'm so sorry. Just shoot me now. I lied. Um, 20000 bucks for her to go on Bill Maher. Can you you know, and, 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 and Bev Oda raked over the coals to this day for a $16 glass of orange juice. I've been charged um, about that amount 
for coffee in a hotel, believe it or not, because you go to some of these uh, hotel restaurants and you don't know the pricing. You sit down before you get the even get the menu. They say, do you want a coffee? You say yes. All of a sudden they show up with carafe and you get the bill and you say, I ordered a coffee. (laughs) I ordered a coffee. What the heck is this? Well, then you'll know that if you're traveling in the States now, quite often they charge you for parking at, at a hotel. So you're paying extra parking to park oh, in man. a secure lot. So All they're right. going to claim that they saved us the parking fees by flying her there. And we're going to have to smile and be all happy about it. It's so ridiculous what we put up with. And it just, it's nonstop. And it's its bankrupting this country. Now, and in, you called in, in about the war on cars, though. Well, yeah, because, listen, have you ever driven on the 401 in January at 1030 at night if there's a little bit of snow? How many tractor trailers? The last couple of years I've driven that path many times, and there have been whiteout conditions. There's been 15, 20 tractor trailers spun out. Your hours sitting on the 401. I would never get into an electric car in half of the places in this country for at least six months of the year and feel safe, there's just no way. It's, I, I would never buy one. Like, you know, the only way I would get into an electric car and be driven is if I was in the back of a prison vehicle and I had no choice because I don't think it's safe. <laughs> I do not think, I think it's absolutely irresponsible. I don't know what the technology is like, but so far I, I use a lot of, um, equipment outside and they've yet to perfect a battery i don't know if you've ever used any battery tools or anything yes and and it goes quickly yeah and so really do you want to be in a in a climate where you can actually freeze to death and die you know within half an hour or so not me yeah no it's not i'm not gonna buy it gotta run to the next call thanks for the uh thanks for the time michelle no uh, all right, let's go to uh, David in Ottawa. You're calling in about electric cars. Are you going to freeze to death in an electric car, David? Uh, no, I'm not, actually, because I actually own one, and it's a fantastic vehicle. Okay. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I just was kind of listening to the conversation a little bit. I'm a long time. <clears throat> Sorry, CFRA listener. I, I don't and... have a problem with electric cars. I have a problem with them saying, uh, let's put one in every driveway. And, and quite frankly, they're, they're a luxury. Yeah, well, actually, I I I I would beg to disagree with you on that, just because I actually okay, don't own one. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I used to own a Ford Expedition, and then I ended up buying a Chevrolet Volt, which is a, an electric car, but it has a backup gas generator in it. And I did it because I was just tired of the monopoly that oil has on us. I was just tired of going to the gas station. So for me, I'm a free market capitalist. I I don't see that as choice. So electric car actually offers me the choice of actually a different energy source for my car. Okay, but, 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 super, but it is super... your choice, right? Sorry? It, it is your choice. And if I, right, if I, if I, cho- if I choose to, to, to drive uh, an internal combustion engine, that's but you, my choice. But you really don't have a choice because that's all that used to be out there. So I see the movement towards making them a little bit more available as actually giving people a choice because right now you really don't have a choice. And the other thing is, is that a lot of people think that, oh, the technology, they're not sure about it. I can assure you, like, the, the, I've got 130,000 clicks on my, uh, my car. Uh, I, I don't, I, I've never touched the brakes on it. So the total cost of ownership over a few years lowers the price of the vehicle. Uh, so it's actually quite, quite economical and right, efficient. But, but you went from one of the biggest SUVs that Ford makes, maybe, yeah. maybe the biggest, yeah, down to a, a Chevy Volt. Yeah. 
So you went from big honking SUV down to a compact car. Uh, More or less, yeah. Okay, so but my point yesterday and my point today on this is when you are looking at electric vehicles, most people will look at the value for money. Let's take the Chevy Spark. It's 11500 for the base model of the internal combustion engine, of the gasoline sipping, because I've rented Chevy Sparks. They're gasoline sipping cars. They actually don't do very well on the gas mileage in the city, to be honest with you. $32,000 for the base model of the electric vehicle. No, but that's not a fair comparison. The average cost of a vehicle that's sold in Canada, the average price is something like thirty-three grand. Okay, so but, say, no, it, it, it is a fair comparison because I'm, I'm looking at the same car in both the internal combustion engine, the gasoline version, and the electric version. There's it, no, there, there, there's no such. Oh, oh, I think. Oh, you're talking about the um, Chev, Chevy Spark. Oh, it, the Spark. Yeah. Yeah, okay, it, well. it, it's a fun little car that you know the rental yeah. car companies have lots of them. They they sip gasoline. They do not use an awful lot of gas, and it's eleven five. For yeah, okay. the gasoline if, if one, it's looking, 32.4, yeah, sure. I believe, for the, and this is base model for both, 11.5 for the base model on the gas one, 34 and change, or sorry, 32.4 for the uh, the electric. Most Canadians are going to look and say, I can buy an awful lot of gas for that. No, I, I, I wouldn't dispute you on that, but I, <clears throat> I would also tend to argue that's probably not the best model to be looking at. Like, frankly, I just wouldn't want to be driving around in a, in a Chevy Spark, but if you're looking at some comparables like some of the the, the EVs that Ford put um, puts out, or 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 um, B, or sorry, I should say BMW. Um, they're you know a much more premium uh, uh, car than say a Chevy Spark. Um, so there's really not much of a comparable for the car that I that I'm uh, happen to be driving at this time. But I just wanted to make the point though that you know actually I would encourage everyone to go out and drive one because they're really fun. Uh, you know, you, you 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 can drive for months without having to hit the gas station. Uh, it's cheaper over time. It actually works out to be a lot cheaper, subsidies or not. I, um, I I've so. been driven around in a Chevy Volt. I haven't yeah. driven one myself. But let me say this: electricity prices in this province are being driven up, and there's an awful lot of subsidies going into this um, in terms of rebates. We talked about that yesterday, but also these charging stations. And 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 that's part of what bothers me. That's not free market, David. And and I look forward to the day when we have options. I remember saying years ago as Toyota was coming out with all these hybrids, I got four kids. I need I need a minivan. I can't get away from that. And until they move out, need a minivan. And uh, Toyota was apparently at that point going to come out with one. They never did. I would have bought one in a heartbeat. And well, Chrysler's, Chrysler's coming out with one well, uh, this coming year, I think. All right. We'll see what happens. Up against the clock. Yeah. Thanks for the call, David. No problem. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Back with more of your calls in moments. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. All righty. All right. All right. All right. Some of you have been waiting on the air long, on hold a long time. I'm going to try and get to everyone. Let's go to Jack first in Ottawa. You are on Beyond the News. Hey, how's it 
it going? Oh, perfectly adequate tonight. You're calling in about <laughs> environmentalism, okay. which is driving a lot of what we're talking about. Uh, why, why, do the, why do we need those electric cars? What's the point of them? Yeah, If people want to have them, I have no issue. I have an issue with government subsidies for it. I think we need to have more cars. That I think we need to put more cars on the road and and get uh, just make those uh, electric cars illegal. It's a waste of time. I, I don't see any reason well, why. Why would you make them illegal? Well, what's I? Well, I don't have any kids, so I don't really care about what the air is going to smell like fifty <laughs> years from now. Do you? Do you have any kids? I I got four. So what? Okay. Well, you're you're not a good example. But do we really think <laughs> that climate change is real? Is I, that what we I, think? I, I think I've demonstrated my views on that by have you? I, I, I'm not an avid listener. So what? Well, uh, I, I've pointed out that we haven't had warming since 1998. That's from both the United Nations, Michael Mann at the University of Pennsylvania, the Met Office in London, England. So, well, I think all these hurricanes on the news and these. Not, these are probably hurricanes, just made up. Hurricanes think, are down. I, yeah, and I think all these fires in uh, all these things, these these events that they say are linked to climate change, I'm, I don't think these are happening at all. I think these are completely made up. What I would say is that we should all live like uh, like we want to live. Why are we going to have anyone telling us to keep things well, clean? For it, I'm not going to have any grandkids. What do I get? What do I care? All right. Thanks for the call, Jack. If uh, if people want to have an electric car, let them have it, but don't give them subsidies for all that. David, you're on Beyond the News. David. Oh, yep. Hi, oh, yeah. you're on Beyond the News. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious about um, all these uh, refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, why nobody has made a uh, a comment about uh, when you see Israel surrounded by its enemies, know the time is near, biblical reference. Now, because uh, we know not the time nor the hour, if you want to make a biblical reference. Well, I know, but uh, the Lord talks about when you see Israel surrounded, and we are, Canada and the other countries in Europe that are taking these people of the house of Israel, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we seem to be the only people taking these people. And uh, Well, it's uh, the United uh, States will be taking 10,000 by the end of the year, and uh, uh, Europe is taking an awful lot, but they're not going anywhere else, are they? No, they're not. And it, it just seems to be mainly uh, Christian nations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the Christian God, uh, he tells every Christian that every other religion is... Uh, those people are basically our enemies. No, I would disagree with that. He may well, say they're, they're wrong, but he does say, love thy neighbor. Well, He doesn't yes, say, love does. thy neighbor if they're Presbyterian or Quaker or Catholic. He says, love thy neighbor. Well, I get that. But they're, they're still an enemy of, of God. Anybody who doesn't mm. accept that Jesus is the Christ is uh, an antichrist. Uh, oh. In fact, if you can find that in the Bible for me, send me an email, beyondthenews at cfra.com. Uh, and, and if we're, John Council were here, I think he would argue with you as well. Thanks for the call. I uh, want to make uh, time for one more. Raymond in Edmonton, Alberta, you got about a minute to go on Freeland. Go! Hey, Brian. I, uh, I just wanted to call in and, and talk about a Minister Freeland there. We both know that if... if you know, let's play the substitution game. Any other politician. We know a couple who have been raked over the coals 
for spending like this in the past. Mm-hmm. And I mean, politicians do that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Not out of, out of the normal. But what really burns me is how the conservatives just let it go. That that just I could not. Well, they, they have raised it. We'll see if they raise it again when they come back on Monday. They raised it several times in the House of Commons. In fact, I thought they raised it too many times and they'd, they'd let McCallum get away with lying. We'll okay. see what happens Monday. That'll be the big test is what they do with this new information that's out come Monday when the House of Commons resumes sitting. But if you want to find out more about this, go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. You can find the documents. You can find the report. You can find everything. Share it with your friends. Let the truth be known. Let freedom ring. All right, that's it for tonight. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA.